Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. friends welcome to the show this is having a blast on today's episode i'm incredibly excited to welcome mr jim Suptic of the get up kids fame to the show jim is the co-singer and co-songwriter for the get up kids he is also the singer and songwriter for the band blackpool lights the get up kids formed in 1995 in kansas city missouri my hometown they are of legendary status at this point they are my favorite kansas city band and i've been listening to them now for 23 years which is insane to think about. This was an absolute thrill for me as I've never met any of the members of the Get Up Kids until now, but Jim was an absolute sweetheart. I really, really appreciate him taking the time to chat with me. I also want to thank him for being so honest and forthcoming. We discuss a lot in this episode. Jim is also currently working with fellow Blackpool Lights member, Mr. Billy Brimblecom on Steps of Faith. Steps of Faith is a nonprofit public charity dedicated to providing prosthetic care, hope, and comfort to amp- amputees needing financial support. They help uninsured and underinsured amputees get the prosthetic limbs that they need. It's a very cool organization. For the last five years, they've thrown a wonderful charity event slash party called Thunder Gong in Kansas City, hosted by Ted Lasso himself, Mr. Jason Sudeikis. Pamela and I have enjoyed going to Thunder Gong over the years. It's always a blast. We chat about that and plenty more. So without further ado, please enjoy this Get Up Kids filled conversation with my new bud, Mr. Jim Suptic. Hello. Where's Good my? To see you, I, man. Do I have? I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm live. I got my. My voice is is being heard. Radical. Yeah, you sound great, man. Well, do thank you. Do you. <laughs> do you do a lot of these podcasts? You know, I sometimes do. I just did one with Alan Epley. Oh, cool. And I'm saying yes to more things. That's a goal of, of life. Sometimes people say yes to too many things, and I don't say yes to enough of things. I have to ask you: Are your books color coded? They are. Yeah. Yeah. That's here, nice. I'll turn. Yeah, I like we did it. that. We did that a couple of years ago, and don't ever do it though, because once you start, because now I can't buy any more books. That's the conundrum I have, because there's no room. So yeah, we did that. My partner Pamela and I, we combined books a couple of years ago, and we thought it'd be fun to do it color coded. I kind of did that in my last house, so she was inspired. So we did it one day for fun. But yeah, now I find myself just leaving books up in my bedroom <clears> and have nowhere to put them. It's all good. Yeah. I need to start getting rid of some ones, you know, that. Yeah. You know, there's books. I, I'm a big Vonnegut fan. Oh, cool. I'll read like, you know, I've only read a couple of his books more than once, you know? So it's kind of like you keep these books around because you want people to think you're smart. 
And then, exactly. <laughs> and then you're like, am I going to really read Slaughterhouse yeah. five for the fifth time? You know, I was going to say, that's the one I've got. I've got Slaughterhouse five on the show. That's the, that's the classic. Yeah. I recommend Sirens of Titan. It's Sirens not as most, it's not his most famous book, but I, it's, I, I love that book. I've actually, I've read that book more than once. It's really good. Cool. I'll definitely read it. Yeah. I haven't read that one. I think one of my other friends has recommended that one to me in particular. It's so, pretty funny. It's just kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've heard that some of his books can be, but I kind of like that about Vonnegut, you know, he's, yeah, he's like, a, uh, he's a, a smart ass you know? optimist. Yeah. yeah. He saw some shit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What are you drinking tonight? You said you were making a cocktail, uh, orange juice and vodka. So oh, I'm trying to be nice. healthy. It's got vitamin C. <laughs> there you go. Vitamin C. I've got a cocktail here as a little pep for Monday evening. I've got a Coke Zero here. There you go. A little bit of like 34 grams of caffeine in there. Coke Zero. I was a Coke guy for a long time. I was always drinking Coke. And then I switched to Diet Dr. Pepper. And then they had Coke Zero. And now I pretty much stopped drinking soda. I I stick to green tea and coffee now. But nice. I I do like a Coca-Cola like in the summer when it's really hot. It's ice cold. And yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's synonymous with summer. You know, they're so like, sweet. I don't know how the hell I, I, I mean, I would drink like four of those when I was in high school a night, like, and it's just pure sugar. I don't know. Same. No yeah. wonder I was like insane <laughs> <laughs> off the wall. I was such a night owl when I was younger. I mean, I still am. I can be if left to my own devices. I'm as but... well. I'm not, I'm not a morning person. I'm most creative okay. in the evening and my wife's yeah. the exact opposite. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. She'll go to bed <laughs> at eight and I could stay up till three in the morning. Yeah. yeah. I think that's also just being in a band and, you know, playing shows and that's what happens. Yeah. Do you write music at night, late at night, or do you come up with lyrics or some? Yeah, I do. When the kids go to bed, I don't know. I'm, I'm weird creatively because sometimes I used to always have a guitar by my bed and I would just randomly pick it up. When my kids were little, I used to just make up songs and like sing to them like something stupid. And then, Oh, that's actually a cool melody. And then I make, I've literally written songs that way where I was just joking around trying to make my kids laugh. And then I ended up, writing a song that's awesome man you never know where inspiration will strike right yeah i mean that's I, the thing I, i'm not i'm not a guy like it's it's very hard for me to say okay it's time to write and then i sit down i always feel like that but sometimes i've done it but it always feels like i'm doing homework or something like it's forced yeah yeah it can feel a little forced when you schedule it yeah yeah sadly like that, that's how it's i feel like i have to do it sometimes now just because i got two kids jobs bands yeah it's hard yeah, you're a busy man. I was going to ask, you have two kids? I have two kids, yeah. A, nice. a freshman in high school and a fifth grader. Wow, okay. And you went to Olathe, right? I am right? Olathe South, class of 96, as is Rob Pope, the bass player Get Up Kids. And Ryan, our drummer, he is uh, Olathe South, class of 97. He was a year younger. You're younger. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I think your high school, I could be mistaken. It's all kind of blurry at this point. I was in a band. I was in a band called Game Time back in the early 2000s. And we hey, played. I have, to, I have to ask you, I mean, sure. finish what you're saying. But yeah, I, yeah. Okay. No, we, we played this thing called Rock for Hope. Yeah. Was that Olathe South? Or am I conflating? Okay, yeah. We played there one year and Ultimate Fake Book actually played. And it was rad. It was really well, cool. Was- Eric Moline, their drummer, he went to Late the South. Okay. And then his, his sister went to East because she was on drill team with my wife. So it's a very small world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely. But, no, your, your band, I was talking to Billy Brimblecombe about doing this tonight. And mm-hmm. did you play with the start ever? 
We did, yeah. Okay, because that the, he knew he's like, oh, okay. I, yeah. And he was, and he told some story, and he was like talking to you guys. How you're saying you're from Kansas City? Then he got all homesick because he, he was kind of getting ready to quit that band. Yeah. Oh, the start. Yeah. 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 No, I, you know, it's funny. He's friends with our bass player, Nick Pickerel, who's kind yes. of missing. Nick, Kansas. Nick, Nick Pick. That's what we were talking yeah. about today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know him? <laughs> I, I don't really, but that's what we okay. were just, Billy was talking about this. <laughs> okay, cool. So I saw that they were talking on social media about the time that Game Time played with the start. And I completely forgot that somehow exited my memory because we played so many shows. I mean, it was kind of ridiculous I, how often I can't even, played, but... I can't even remember. I don't even know how many shows yeah. I played. But I figured that I would have at least remembered it because I was a fan of Billy's and it's not that I just completely was too cool back then or something and just didn't Oh, you probably it, but... were. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I remember going to see Billy in his first few bands. I mean, he played in Stick. He played in the Creature right. Comforts, right? Cre- Creature Comforts was like the main, the main band yeah. that he was in before he kind of left KC. Well, though, I guess... Yeah, he left late in the start and then uh, moved back. And that's when we started Blackpool Lights. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, very cool. It's interesting how connected we all are. And maybe we think we're not, you know, sometimes. Because I remember... Kansas City is a small town. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's like a small big town somehow. Or there's a lot of people, but they're all connected. But yeah, I remember reading Nick and Billy's Exchange Online. I was like, oh yeah, we did play with them. I remember being a fan of that band. And But yeah, I mean, that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Talk all things Steps of Faith and Thunder Gong. And we went to Thunder Gong the first year in 2017 i remember seeing billy and i thought man he looks so familiar i know him from somewhere <laughs> i remember seeing the creature comforts and pod star and ultimate fake book i think it was one of the first shows i saw at Altorion, and i think that might have been the first time i saw the creature comforts but i digress yeah so anyways thanks for doing this thanks for saying yes i appreciate that i appreciate your time tonight just for context i'm a massive get up kids fan i'm 37 years old so you're aware contextually but you're i <laughs> <laughs> How old are you? If you don't mind me asking. I am 28. <laughs> Dude, you don't look a day over. I always say we have a, we have a, this is actually, I learned from Billy. You have a stage age, oh, which is, like which is the youngest possible age you can say on stage, like in a band and that people would believe. Okay. I don't know. Mine's getting, it's getting up there. I think I could probably pass for 38 now. I'm 44. Okay. I definitely yeah, could pass. Absolutely 38 for sure. Yeah. So that's my stage age. Okay, cool. I like it. Yeah, I bet that's you good. could. You, I bet you could say thirty. You, you get thirty. A, you have a, yeah, you have a good stage. You have, a, you have a, a youthful face. Okay, I'm gonna start telling people that, but yeah. just on stage if I'm ever yeah. there again. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, I heard the Get Up Kids probably when I was 16 or 17 years old, and I was just trying to recall it. I had a burn CD and it had Red Letter Day on it. And I think Central Standard Time, it had a couple of random assortment of Midwest bands that I was really into. Me and my friends were really into. And then I remember hearing you guys on the Before You Were Punk compilation, which I don't know if that song, it ended up being on Eudora close to me, the Cure cover. But yeah, <laughs> I want to say the first iteration, the first time I heard it was on that Before You Were Punk compilation. Yeah, we should have done Boys Don't Cry. I don't know why... That Dude, seems... you still can. That would be legit for real. <laughs> we well, th- that or wait, no, that before you were punk wasn't. It, we did we did a wait. What song did you say? We, <laughs> the Cure cover. Okay, no, I'm thinking With the drum regret. intro and everything. Yeah, and yeah like... I'm, I'm thinking regret. We did another song initially, and I knew I'm like this isn't an '80s New Order song. And then we 
And I knew Rich, our manager, was who owned Vagrant, was going to tell us, no, you have to pick a different song. So, yeah, okay. sorry. I'm, I'm losing it. No but, I, I, but the whole time I wanted to do Boys Don't Cry because I thought it was kind of on the nose and funny. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, never too late, Jim. You can do it. That's a great classic song in and of itself. But I loved that cover. And we, I mean, we, we listened to that thing we, so we, much back then. We, we played it live a lot. Yeah. Is it kind of a fan favorite at this point? Like people? Yeah, we haven't, we haven't played it. We haven't really played it though in a while. It was just, we were kind of, it was always in the encore. Yeah. But maybe we'll, I'd like to learn more covers. Always fun. I like doing them for the crowd because crowds generally like that type of stuff. Well, we played, uh, we played this festival in Australia called Soundwave. Mm -hmm. And what's the ska band? Real Big Fish would play right before us at all the Mm -hmm. shows. And they were really smart because they like knew how to play to a festival because they they had some like legitimate like hit alternative songs. Mm -hmm. They only played their hits. And then they did like three covers. They did like a ska Metallica medley. And it's (laughs) like, I'm like, that's really smart because you're going to win these people over who have, if they don't know your song, they're going to know these songs. And yeah. It's like shit and then everyone would leave and then we'd get on stage it was great Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, no 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 you don't want to leave. yeah for sure how, how is Soundwave? is that yeah I mean, it's, it's, sure it's no it's no longer a thing it was fun oh, we ended up we had a really good time it was like kind of crazy we ate, i remember sitting down for dinner and it was like paramore and god what's that the band Anvil, you know that metal they did the documentary, the Canadian oh, yeah. metal band Anvil. Yeah, they sat right there, like having dinner with Anvil. It was, <laughs> it was so strange. Yeah, while watching Paramore. Yeah, that tour was cool. Jimmy, I think Jimmy World were on it. Cool, but they always were like on when we were on. So I never, I never even got to talk to those guys. We talked to them for like a minute, but that's a bummer. That's I was in an elevator. Fun, fun story on that tour. Just getting completely random. We were playing in Perth and whatever hotel we were at, the Backstreet Boys were staying there. And this was this was like 2010, I think. Mm-hmm. And I remember I getting on an elevator with the Backstreet Boys. And I was thinking if this was like six years earlier, I wouldn't have been able to even get into the hotel. There would have been so many like <laughs> girls outside, like like the security would have been like the Beatles. So yeah, it was funny. I would have been concerned for my safety even then probably. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a good random story. I like that. Random elevator ride with the Did you talk to those dudes? I did not. I did just not. Happen to be. But I do know Kevin, the kind of the tall, low singer. Mm-hmm. He's married to a gal from Kansas City. Oh, cool. And he came and saw Summer Breeze when they played like uh, either right before Thanksgiving or Christmas a couple years ago at Kansas Hall. It's not there anymore. And he got up on stage and sang a song with them. It was so really random and bizarre. Yeah. That's so he's amazing. He has his holidays in Kansas City. There you go. Okay, cool. Fun fact. Everybody loves Kansas City. Are you in that band? band? Are you in the, the no, band? no. I okay. I I wish I was a better musician. I've like I wanted to start a. Uh, I mean, I say this. I know I'm a decent musician, but there's like a level of musicianship you need to do like cover bands where you yeah. just gotta like those guys are all studied. You, you know, went to like studied music in college and things. And I I don't know. I always. I wanted to do like a Brit pop tribute band. Yeah. But it's just, it's a lot of work. I saw Alan Epley from Shiner. He's got a band called Broasis. Uh-huh. He's like super, yeah. ta- he's just super talented musician and they're awesome. Yeah. Oasis, yeah. Broasis. They were great. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great cover band. Name. You can make a lot of money being in cover bands too. Like I know Absolutely. Billy, Billy would admit this. He's made more money and had more success being in this yacht rock tribute band than 
any band he was ever in the Blackpoolites or anything. So, and they have fun. They have like a following. It's crazy. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they're a good. lot of fun. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I had similar experiences in a cover band, made more money doing that than all the bands I've played. In. I think a lot of people think find that out, you know? <laughs> Shiner just played too. Did you go to the show? They did. I, I didn't. Ryan yeah. and Billy went. Ryan Pope went. But oh, cool. I saw the, I saw them the last time they were here. They played at Lemonade Park. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that show. That's awesome. Very cool band. So I'm a personal trainer by trade. That's my gig. And one of my clients is on tour with them right now. I think you know him, RL from oh, Of course. Merch. Yep. He does all the merch for Thunder Gong and That's right. Yeah. Flee the right. scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. St. Joe. I know if you know one person from St. Joe, you like know everybody from St. Joe. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Small town for sure. So this podcast, I think in large part due to bands like the Get Up Kids, you guys were a massive influence on me. I grew up in Kansas City. I have some formal questions, but we can take it wherever you want, my man. I just appreciate your time. I read over the questions you had. Some are are good. Some, (laughs) I don't know. Some are complete trash. No. The first one, I hope you know, I say this with all respect. I'm a fan of yours and have been for a really long time, but I came across it and I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it and we can certainly crop out whatever we need to. We don't have to go into anything you don't want to. And it's not just like a spicy quote or anything, but the fact that it was attributed to you, I figured I would just ask you about it and see Mm -hmm. what your thoughts were. I came across this quote from you, the punk scene we came out of and the punk scene now are completely different. It's like glam rock now. If Mm -hmm. this is the world we helped create, then I Mm -hmm. apologize. Yeah. So that was supposed to be funny. (laughs) Yeah. And more taken as a joke. And I, I, I've, I've had to like talk about this quote so many times. It's, it's hilarious. So (laughs) this, this happened, I think that interview was from like 2009 Mm -hmm. and it was like the first interview I had done in like five years. And it was the first time really when social media got big and I'd never done an interview in the time of social media. And I learned a valuable lesson. Like, even if I'm joking, I watched that quote go from like just that little interview to like punk sites to rollingstone.com mm-hmm. to British newspapers online. Like I watched it happen. And then what they were doing is they were citing like the quote of a quote. By the mm-hmm. end, I saw it said, Jim Subtick apologizes for inventing emo <laughs> or something. <laughs> like it got so twisted of what I yeah. said. My point was, is that we, it's just that emo at that point and people were like oh you were talking about fallout boy or you're talking like like certain bands like first of all if i influenced you to make music and create art that's awesome i'm not gonna knock that that's awesome mm-hmm. and by the way i like fallout boy they're a fine band they've done great things they're all they're nice guys so it, that's that's not what i was talking about what i was and they also actually came out of the punk rock hardcore scene you know mm-hmm. that's where these guys came for the same place we did what right. i saw is that when heavy metal started, it was like this underground real thing. And then powers that be like manipulated it and it turned into this like sellable commodity to the point where the bands that started doing it, they started playing that style of music because that's how they get famous and rich and blah, 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 blah. Right. And I saw the same thing sort of happen with the emo punk scene where when we started, we never thought we'd be famous. We never thought we'd be on the radio because bands like us didn't. Limp Biscuit was what was on the radio in alternative radio when we put out something to write home about. Yeah. Our style of music was, was underground music. Once all these bands started getting bigger, then people, I just felt like a lot of bands were starting for the wrong reasons, where it's yeah. like it was just insincere. 
You know, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't Absolutely. punk rock. It's just, we were just the flavor of the month. If they would have been, if these same, some of these bands, if they would have been a band in the mid eighties, they would have been a glam rock band. Cause mm-hmm. that's what was popular. So it right. just sort of lost all of its, it just became this commodity. And that's what I was really talking about. Yeah. I wasn't singling out any band or artist, whatever. And if you want to be a commodity band, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we were. And that's not where the music we loved came from. Sure. That, and that that's it. But it is funny. And now I still see that quote and it's uh-huh. hilarious. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it's funny just the, like you mentioned, the sheer virality of it. It just went viral. It took off. And that's what happens. Sometimes you'll say something and it's taken out of context. Like you yeah. said, you were kind of making a tongue in cheek joke. I learned a, and I learned a valuable lesson. Of, oh, yeah. Like it was like, wow, this is I understand this. That. This is what I mean. That's what all media is now. Like I like. I love NPR. I feel like, oh, I can trust them. Even I see them posted clickbait headlines on social media. It's just like, yeah. that's yeah. where we are now. It's right. just got to get those ad clicks, you know? Exactly. Anyway, it's, there you it's go. It's all about that commoditization of it. And yeah. art's always been, there's always ways to commoditize art and things like that and true intentions. But no, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And the reason I wanted to talk to you about it is because I was curious your thoughts about it now. And I'm sure even now it takes on a whole new meaning and it's probably more hilarious now looking back on it. Well, Just what's because great- of the legacy of how much music has transitioned over the last 20 years. And well, what's great is now that emo, punk, whatever we were coming out of isn't what the popular thing is there's like a whole new scene of young kids like doing it just to do it you know and that and so it's kind of gone it's gone full circle it's pretty cool to see exactly like a lot of good young bands i'm glad you mentioned that because i think of bands like joyce manor modern baseball yeah the world is a beautiful place with them yeah yeah, these are all great bands that yeah. I think were probably heavily influenced by the Get Up Kids. At least it certainly sounds like it. And then yeah. lots of bands in different genres and things like that. And it's interesting when you think of how influential a label like Vagrant was at the time. And you had a lot of labels like that that were working well with the bands and helping bands grow. It was like this amalgamation, this culmination of things. And then emo almost became the easy tagline associated with selling it. And it was more about an aesthetic at that point. It was like, underground music you had all these different genres and they all melded into one another and then it was just very convenient to call it emo or pop punk or punk or whatever and so looking at it in hindsight i like the fact that you mentioned that it's full circle because that's how it feels to me even with punk music i feel like there's a resurgence of skate punk and that's kind of what i grew up on i grew up on labels like fat records and epitaph and nitro i mean i was a bit face to face was one of my favorite bands in high school and yeah i was gonna ask you what were you guys listening to you guys formed we, in 95. What were you guys we, listening to around listen, that time? We listened to everything. That's what's kind of weird. That's why I always felt like the ghetto kids, we always we always felt like we never really fit anywhere. Like we weren't indie enough for the hipsters. We weren't punk enough for the pop punk kids. We kind of, we're just like, but when you're from the Midwest, you know, we kind of were taking influence all over. You know, my favorite bands at the time were Super Chunk and, you know, a lot of like North Carolina, you know, Archer's a Loaf. But mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy, I love Jimmy World. Sunny Day Real Estate. I'm trying to think like high school, you know, like Seaweed, Jawbreaker. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, you can go listen to our first record. That's pretty obvious who our our influences are. But but I think it was also cool that we, since we always were able to like kind of play with anybody. Like I remember, I always talk about the show because I think it was really cool and kind of showed that the scene was kind of 
I don't know, maybe more at the time. It just was, I felt like more accepting of people liked all these things. It was Snapcase, mm-hmm. Avail, and the Get Up Kids. And wow. it was in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm like, that's cool. Like three totally different sounding bands, yet all loosely enough related that we, you know, could do you a show together. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the, crowd, the crowd, yeah, and the crowd was into it all. It was awesome. Yeah, that's badass. I pay a lot of money to see those three bands together. Yeah, real. it was fun. So, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. That's cool. And I think it's cool too, because it seems like there was a lot of camaraderie amongst bands back then. And I was curious how the scene was in terms of the bands networking and communicating with one another. You guys went on tour with Braid. You went on tour with Jimmy World. How yeah, did you guys you, communicate at that time? Was it just networking and trading shows? It, it was networking, getting phone numbers, the band Boys Life, who you know, probably know from Kansas City. They were mm-hmm. really influential in helping us like get... Cause you know, they're all a little bit older than us and they, they had toured, you know, they were touring with like Christy front drive and, mm-hmm. and all these bands, like they, they were friends with Jimmy Eat world. And so we just kind of became friends with these guys like Jimmy Eat world. I remember they played, uh, I mean, I'll never forget. I was in, I was in art school and they played in Kansas city and they crashed. Some of them were crashing at my apartment. I think somewhere at the Pope's and I'm just like, these guys are just like a year or two older than me. And they're just like touring everywhere and i i just knew like this is what i want to be doing i want to drop out of art school and so yeah i definitely you know it was all kind of interconnected like oh you know the band no knife okay they're looking for tour mates let's go to the west coast let's you know mineral we became friends with because friends of ours are friends with them and we opened for them at the daily grind all ages club and just became friends with them and then they were breaking up and we're like hey and we did their last tour before they they broke up yeah it's kind of kind of crazy that's just yeah it was a small a small scene i guess now it's like great like i remember at the time we played i remember playing with it was i was in school ryan was in high school and we went up to play chicago Mm -hmm. and we played in madison wisconsin for on a weekend and it was a basement show and it was get up kids mineral and the promise ring (laughs) wow and i think like at the time, like now, yeah. like people who are into that now is like, holy shit, the promissory mineral and get up kids all played in a basement. It's kind of of that, of that scene. That's kind of a legendary show. Yeah. It's called, it's called the slant house. And they just did, we played there a couple times, but it was, a, it was like my first time to Chicago. It was, I was like 18 years old. Wow. What time of the year was it? Do you remember? It would have been the fall, I think. Okay. Was yeah. it cold, like Chicago winter yet? No, it was nice. I think I yeah. think it was kind of just like, fall. Yeah, like the leaves changing weather. Yeah, nice. it was just it was just crazy. Yeah, we were. Yeah, those are in, innocent times, you know. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Eighteen years old. I mean, you were young. We used to go up and play shows in Chicago in the wintertime because we were really stupid. Did you guys play a lot in Chicago after that? Is that how you connected with the Braid dudes, or did you? I don't know how we got connected with the Braid dudes. Actually, it might have been through Boys Life. Okay, we just kind of put a tour together. They were another band that we learned a lot from because they'd been touring for like a year or two and like we the first time we went to europe with was with braid those guys are kind of like brothers to us you know we just it was cool like we just toured so much with them but yeah that's yeah i mean it was just a small scene you know i mean maximum rock and roll magazine had this book like book your own fucking life or whatever and that's it and that's you could find house shows i mean i've played so many modified art spaces Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I remember doing. I was doing this, the podcast with Alan Epley, and we were talking about how we kind of left Kansas City and got 
popular. And the real reason was out of necessity because in Kansas City, the best places to play were 21 and over, mm. like, you know, like the hurricane, the hurricane <laughs> like the, yeah. you know, and it's like we were underage. And yeah. so we just never we didn't play bars. We were always just playing like house parties and and we sort of were able to build fans organically that way, you know, because yeah. then they find us and it's like, that's my band, you know, because I saw them play my friend's basement and I, right, you know. You guys were special. People were connected to you guys. I think when you earn fans that way, it's a lot different than if you have a song on the radio and you're like a radio band. It's like when you, you know, I always, I I say this quote a lot, but it's absolutely true, especially when talking to people who don't know who my band is, but I'm like, well, I've been all over the world playing music. Like, well, how do I not know who you are? It's like, cause we're really important to a very small group of people. (laughs) (laughs) Like if you're fans of our band, you're like a super fan. Like we have lots of super fans. We just don't have millions of them. You know? I'd say that's true. And I think that's all you need, really. I mean, there's that article by Kevin Kelly, and I hear this mentioned on podcasts a lot. And he basically made the argument that you only need a thousand true fans. They'll follow you wherever you go and they'll be your most adamant cheerleaders. And yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I think you guys have way more than a thousand, but I think it's true when you have a community of people that really get it, then it's a good community to have rally behind you. Yeah. I mean, the get up kids are a staple amongst my friends in Kansas city in general. We're listening to you guys all the time. I was going to ask, we mentioned the camaraderie of you and these other bands. Do you think you guys made each other better? Was there essentially a system I definitely, where you were cheering up and leveling up? I definitely know like we were influenced. We'd watch bands and, and get, you know, I feel like we have a song called I'm a Loner Dottie or Rebel. And I think we wrote that after we did a tour with Braid. It almost has kind of a braidiness to it, you yeah. know? We also, I remember At The Drive-In opened for us on the first leg of our Something Right Home About tour. And they're wow. just like, yeah, they're just insane. Like when they were young, they were nuts. Like yeah, I, I always felt like they never, that band never, you could really, ca- it's, it was hard to capture that on record because it was like, catching lightning in a bottle you know but they they just brought it every night so we felt okay we're the headliner we gotta (laughs) we gotta bring it you know yeah those guys were nuts i remember seeing them i think it was 2000 at the bottleneck and they were just climbing the raptors and yeah just going off yeah crazy lightning in a bottle for sure the get up kids were courted by major labels oh yes earlier on in in Do you ever think about the trajectory of the band, what that may have looked like? I mean, you could probably imagine. Yeah. I, is that something that, that crosses your mind ever? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I think the difference, they might've had more power to get us on radio. And not that Vagrant didn't try. I just think we put out a record that influenced, like, I think like when like Jimmy World had Clarity and Sons Aren't Home About, they're like, and, and what's this, Nothing Feels Good, mm-hmm. all kind of came out around in like a year and a half time period. And those, I, I feel like those three records kind of helped. We, like we, Promise Ring, Jimmy World, Gab Kids were all kind of taken off at the same time. Yeah. But at that time, all that, that sound was not what was on the radio. You know what I'm saying? But we helped because all of our bands are doing that. All these other bands started sounding like this and they started playing those bands. Mm -hmm. And then we, and then we came out and, and we chose to make any more acoustic introspective album that didn't sound like Sunday right home about. So when Vagrant was taking Sunday right home about to like K rock in LA, even though, I mean, we were selling out, I mean, we were playing to like 3000 people in Los Angeles. Like we, we sold out almost a 4,000 seat place in, in New York city. You know, it's like, 
we were getting really big and they just, but the radio was Limp Biscuit. Then we came back with On a Wire and tried to, you know, get it on. And, the, and I, a story that Rich has said is that they literally were like, if they would have made a record that sounds like something to write home about, we would be playing it. And it's like, we fucking made a record that sounded like something to write home about. It was called Something to Write Home About and you didn't play it. Yeah. So it's like, at that point, what are you, what are you chasing, right? So I don't know. I don't know what a major label would have done. I mean, our whole thing is that why we wanted off Doghouse more than anything is people couldn't find our records. Like we were growing faster than his label. He had he his distribution wasn't great. And Vagrant, you know, when kids went to the store, they could find our our CD. They could find our record, you know. Yeah. But is that that was kind of like that missing piece? But I mean, we were on we were on 120 minutes on MTV. We I remember you know, seeing that. Yeah, you know, it's like. And we were on the radio in certain places, but I just think yeah, it's just timing. Like our timing was good. To f- I always say like why our band did get as popular as it did. is like we were we were just playing the right music at the right time. Mm-hmm. And we and we were that scene was just, you know, with all those the Jimmy worlds and everything. The whole scene was just kind of, blossoming. you know, it was blossoming and it was just we just we were just doing the right thing at the right time. That was it. Right. And unfortunately, we put out a record that we didn't put out at the right time, but it was the record we wanted to make at the time. And, you know, maybe a major label would have said, we're not going to put out this record. I think that would be the difference. They said, you need to make a record that sounds like this. And we would have been pissed. And then we probably would have had it gone and done it. Well, and also it very could have ended the way Jimmy World's situation with Capital did. They had an album like Clarity and they didn't know what to do with it. They did. But at the same time, what what were they going to do with it? Looking right. back now, it's like, oh, that's like an emo masterpiece. But right. the radio wasn't going to play that, the, you know, True. even though it was his Lucky Denver Mint on that. Yeah. I mean, like, uh-huh. how the hell is that? That's a hit song. Like, if yeah. that, if you're not playing that, then like, what are you? I, I don't know. Like, that was such a, I, I remember being at Chris or no, uh, Jeremy Gomez's, the bass player of Minerals House and Jim from Jimmy World had given like a demo and we heard his demo of Lucky Denver Mint and we're just like, holy shit, that's a good song. Yeah. Like it was so catchy and there you go. I mean, I mean, I don't know how that wasn't a hit, but it just wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time. Right. And timing does factor into all that. And I often, you know, I think if you guys had signed to a major label, like a mojo or something, maybe that would have been a horrendous, well, horrendous mistake. Who knows? There was a lot of bands getting signed and the major labels were just, you know, throwing stuff at the wall and see. Well, ironically, stuff. they, then they, they cease to be a label, you know? Right. So, right. So there so you I go. I guess that's, go. that's a good thing. And then like Geffen, the Geffen was courting us really hard. The label we really wanted to be on was Sub Pop and we had like a deal worked with them. Our good friend, Jason Reynolds, who was the A&R guy at the time, he signed Jesus and Mary Chain when they put out their record on Sub Pop. And we thought it was done. We played South by Southwest. I mean, like you got a, t- a kid who Nirvana is the reason I started a band, you know, it's like I can be on Sub Pop. But it was like the same deal. It was just like a it was like a major label record deal without any of the perks. of, You know, they were on. I mean, they had the power of, of majors, but it was yeah. just kind of like this is still kind of a shitty deal where we don't make a lot yeah. of money. And yeah. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. The thing hindsight. Yeah. I mean, we were on a major label. It's funny. It, we were on major labels. We were on motor in Europe, like in Germany, which was I think owned by universal or something. We were on JVC in Japan and they cr- uh, like on a wire crushed in Japan. So they, I guess 
you know, yeah. being on a major that's label, it worked there. But I mean, Ted, we're on a major label now. That's the that's the irony of this whole thing, because yeah. uh, BMG owns Vagrant. Interscope bought Vagrant. Right. That that was like where my I've talked about this before. I talked the Vagrant podcast. I talked about this part of my yeah. when I sort of was kind of getting jaded was that, you know, we had we Rich Egan, our manager, we had offers for major labels and he got us to sign to his label. And we signed with them because it was a good deal, meaning like yeah. we got paid really well, royalties and everything. But then he then leveraged us to sign Dashboard Jaws stuff and then signed his label to a major label. And I always thought that was, and I was, I mean, he'll tell you, I was very vocal, like that's fucking bullshit. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, so I, I wanted out of our contract. I thought, well, fuck that. We're going to go sign our own deal, you know? Sure. But So it was kind of necessarily. Crap. You didn't want to be necessarily. Well, I didn't. Have, then I didn't. Then strategy. we didn't have a choice. Then we didn't have a choice. Right. It was like we we were getting quartered by major labels, and then your we signed you, and then you sign your label to a ma- a major label buys your label. Right. So it just felt. I mean, I'm over it now. At the time, I just felt it was a little kind of like backstabby in a way, and it was the one yeah. time where before, and I talk about this in the Vagrant podcast. Rich knows I love him. It's fine, but sure. it was the one time that it felt the conflict of interest when our manager owns our label. Cause before it just felt like more of a partnership. And then it's like, Oh, okay. It's fucking business. I mean, right. you know what I mean? You can be yeah. friends with people, but at the end of the day, you know, the music industry is a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, it's, and we learn, and we were naive, you know, you learn, you learn a lot. That's the problem. Like when people are artists and you start bands with your friends, you're not thinking about this stuff. Like literally, I just thought, oh, we're going to go on tour and we get to go to Europe because we signed a doghouse that and then we're all going to go back to college or art school. That's what's going to happen. Right. Like never thought, oh, wait, we're making money. Oh. And then then you have to like learn the business, you know, like no one goes. I mean, maybe someone goes to school to learn the business of being in a band. But and now the business is totally different. I don't even know. Like I tell people what we did. We worked really hard. We toured a lot. I mean, that's it. But I with like the way the music industry is now i, I don't i wouldn't know the first i mean i don't know we just Dude, try to make it it's such a mystery to make good music. yeah yeah it's uncharted waters and i think it's still an anomaly i don't think anybody has it completely figured out and you're always looking for more autonomy to the artists because the artists are the ones who are actually making the art yeah. for, for the sake of making well, the art there was a hot minute where i felt like the artist had control like finally the artists are doing this but it's still just the made the money is it's still the same music it's the same five songs on the buzz yeah. it's the same you know it's just you know commoditized same man. shit different day yeah, it, <laughs> you're it, not wrong man and i feel like yeah. there's just more of it there's more songs well, that sound very similar yeah well even just ra- radio in general this is why i just i just donated to the bridge i recommend donating to stations like their nonprofit stations like yeah. that where they're just there's like these companies own all the stations. It's the same playlist. There's like no local, you know, like the local scene. Cause you're going right. to hear machine gun Kelly on every station. Yeah. Of, that's supposed to be alternative. It's like, well, that's not an alternative. That's just, you know, that, that's, that's me. That's me. <laughs> that's mainstream music. Like I don't, yeah. cause it has a guitar like that. Oh, right. Um, yeah i'm a guitar player so it's interesting how now even guitar it's like whoa there's a distorted guitar in there there's yeah yeah i can hear more than one instrument yeah more than that was the big thing in alternative music's like 
everyone wants the guitar, the, the Fender Twin, where there's just like a guitar that doesn't sound like a guitar. Like do everything you're possible to not have this sound like a guitar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just have it buried very low. Yeah. And she's a keyboard. I mean, you know, I don't know. A lot of them do. I think a lot of times. I don't want to sound old and grumpy, by the way. I'm just. No, no, no. no. You're, to- just, you're totally fine. Yeah. I appreciate you being transparent with me. I've always wondered these things. And like I said before, I think maybe it was a good decision that you guys didn't sign to a major because you guys are friends with the Ultimate Fakebook guys. I think they had an entire album shelved, if I remember right, from Sony. Is that what happened? Yeah, well, they, you know, they had already put out a record. They basically like upstreamed this record to a major label. Yeah. So they sort of like, awesome. We already dealt, we already put it out. And I just don't think it did much. And then. Yeah, you know, with major labels back then, what they would do, they would just sign so many bands and they, they would just you would have like no time to even they would just throw it at the wall. And if it yeah. stuck, but then you'd have like a Mariah Carey that would sell 10 million records that pays for anything that all the ultimate fake books who sold, you know, 10,000 records or whatever. Right. right. They're testing to see. Yeah. And know, that's what, that one that sells. Yeah. Million. So there's so many. I mean, that's that's the tale as old as time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Not to bring up negativity because I want to keep it positive, but do you think when you guys took a hiatus from the band, do you think that was good for the band to take a breather and, uh, and I think to give we, you guys perspective? Yeah. I think the dumb thing we did is we broke up when now I think we should have just truly taken a break. It's been interesting watching the Beatles documentary, not to compare yeah. our band, the Beatles, but I see like the same shit they were going through where I was even talking to Billy about this today. It's really just shit that a bunch of 20, you're, you're in your late twenties. And the same thing happened to our band where it's like, when none of us are married, we don't have kids. Everything is the band. And then all the guys get married. You start having kids, you start, you know, and uh, the band isn't the most important thing. And the people, you know, you're not with your friends every night out going to bars, you know, you got other life things that just, and that just happens. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in the Beatles documentary, you can see like, they're just becoming adults, you know, it's just, of course, and it's hard. And I think we, you know, Matt was just kind of, I don't know, probably fed up listening to us and was really sick at touring at the time. Cause we toured a lot. And yeah. I think in our minds, our mind was that, well, if we're not going to just do this a hundred percent, then why do it? Like I'm going to focus on, on other things, you know? And at that time I already was like, probably almost quit the band about four times making guilt show. So I, like, <laughs> honest to God, if we weren't successful, I wouldn't even have played on that record. I would have quit. Like I was staying cause I was making a lot of money at the time, you know, cause our yeah. band was successful, but it wasn't, f- that record's not like fun for me, sadly. I mean, I oh, think it's okay. a fine record, but I didn't enjoy making it. I'll say that. It was a hard record to make. You guys really were touring a ton. You guys were touring yourselves into the ground. I remember hearing about your touring schedule and seeing it as an outsider observing. So it makes sense that you guys just needed a break. And as you said, life was happening to you and different priorities shift things a little bit, right? And you have to schedule stuff in like writing songs and recording songs and things like that. But it gave you an opportunity to venture out and you put out a fantastic record after that. I'm a huge fan of Blackpool Lights as well. Town's a Disaster is a great record. And Thanks. those songs, it has that DNA of the Get Up Kids. But it's also very much its own thing, I think. Well, I mean, I wrote ha- a lot of those songs for the Get Up Kids. Like right, Blue, I was going to ask you. Blue Skies, we wrote, we recorded for Guilt Show. Mm-hmm. Empty Tank, I had written for Guilt Show. And yeah, Rich Egan wanted 
Blue Skies as the single. Mm-hmm. And somehow the band didn't want it on the record. And there's not a, one song I sing on that record. So obviously you can see why I was kind of over <laughs> to be. It's yeah. like, this is what our, this, our manager wanted this as the radio single. And so right. I don't, That's surprising I still, to that- this day, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know. That decision, when I listen to This Town's a Disaster, there's so many songs on there that I feel like could be on the radio. There's a lot of great, huge anthemic choruses and the melodies are really strong. The lyrics are really strong. Yeah, that's an interesting turn of events. Yeah. You guys recorded with, <laughs> with Ed too, right? We did. So that record Guilt was Show. kind of... Oh, Guilt Show we did with Ed. Yeah. yeah the, and then... This Town's yeah. Disaster. Ed recorded the drums. Mm-hmm. And maybe he did the vocals. He mixed the record, but we okay. went to we went to Black Lodge and did all the drums. And then we went Chris Toll, who was the singer of Bell's Creature Comforts. He had a little studio in his house, and so we basically were able to work with him. And over a f- couple month period, we kind of pieced it all together, and then Ed yeah. Ed mixed it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's very cool. Yeah, I knew he was involved, but I didn't think he tracked all of the stuff for This Town is a Disaster. Did he have any say with Guilt Show as far as the track listing goes? Or was it the band's decision to... Uh, I don't know. I hate the track listing on Guilt Show. It's one of my least favorite things on that. But once again, I'm one vote. (laughs) There's a lot of things (laughs) I don't... I think the record sounds really good. We basically... Yeah, I think it holds up really well. I was listening to it the other day. We've written in a lot of different ways where it was the first record we ever did digital. And, okay. you know, then we came back with there are rules. We, that's all analog. We, you know, it was weird oh, cool. not looking at a screen, like, you know, in that record, we all just kind of, we jammed the songs out and went in and did it where guilt show, I think was Ed really trying to make like his super produced, you know, yeah, it's a very heavily, I don't mean this in a bad way. It's just, that's yeah. the type of record we made. It's like a heavily produced album. Yeah, we're like four minute polished. Yeah, and four minute mile is like a band practice recording. You know, it's yeah. like us just playing our live set. So right. we, we've kind of made records in a bunch of different ways. I mean, Guilt Show is fun to listen to. I just, I don't. I think Blue Skies should have been on the album. <laughs> obviously, I agree. And I think the track. I don't like. I just don't like the way that record flows. I think there's some great songs on there. I just think it would have been better. Like, I just feel like the it's side B is like slow heavy. Like it just yeah. doesn't. I don't know. That's me though. You could have taken some of those songs and replaced them with this town's a disaster. And I think it would have fit perfectly. The vibe is similar. I think amongst those two records, how did you guys record problems in kicker? Did you guys go back to tape kicker? Nope. Nope. Those are all, those are all uh, on digital. Yeah. Kicker. We just had, it was funny. Like the song, maybe Matt had written for something to write home about. And I was just like going back through old stuff. Like what's a way to like, kind of like take something we never use. And I always loved that song. It was kind of like one of the last things he had written. And I always like, but we just didn't have time to get it on to something right home about. And then we kind of took it, reworked it a little to fit like us now. So it was kind of cool to take an old song and then us reimagine it for what yeah yeah that was that fun song. that was fun to make like i kind of like like the song so- i'm sorry i was just trying to like write an old get up kid song you know like okay. what would what would you know like that was like my mindset i'm gonna try to write a song like i'm 18 or something you know? <laughs> with that punk rock yeah. ethos yeah i appreciate you saying that man i mean it the energy i think it has the similar vibe and everything for sure uh, yeah. Pro- and I, I love problems yeah. too. Yeah. That we recorded with Peter Cadis in Connecticut where we did on a wire, but Peter was the engineer oh, and cool. he's now a Grammy award winner. Like he, he's done all the big 
national records. He did, you know, all the Interpol records. He's worked with awesome. Trey Anastasio. I mean, he, he's like, you know, A-list producer guy. So it was cool. Like, I mean, he's such, like, he's a friend, you know, he was at, at my wedding, you know, and it's like, we, we just loved working with him. Like, I know he's going to put his heart into this record. What's crazy, like, I could never do that again, though, because with my day job, you know, working at the nonprofit, everyone's mm-hmm. got things. We we lived in Connecticut for a month and I like, okay. Oh, wow. And I was, I'd, I'd get up and I do, I'd work remotely to get my work done. I try to get it done before noon because mm-hmm. usually we'd start around 11 or noonish, yeah. but it was, it was crazy. Like we had three studios running like in Rob's bedroom. It was, it's like a old, it's like a mansion. The studio is so badass in Bridgeport, Connecticut. The, the main studio is up on the top floor. And uh, we had mics set up in Rob's room. So Matt and I'd be doing vocals. There's a B studio. So Rob would be like laying down his bass track and then like sending them up. Wow. <laughs> so then, then Peter would be taking it <laughs> and be mixing awesome. it while we're all like, we really made in all, just under four weeks, a record that really was like a six or seven week record, but we were able to, to kind of get everything together. Yeah. I, I, I love problems. I think, I think it's, it's, I think it's really good. I think it's fun. It is. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think there's really good songs on it. It's very, and the get up kids. It has I think we, we, and that's what I think we tried to do. We tried to make, like, we try to say what's the mo-, like, cause I, I love their rules. Cause I think we made, we tried to make like this punk rock, like a, like a post-punk record and it's fun, yeah. but I think we try to go, but I, I look at like, on a wire on one side and I look at their rules on the other, like those are the extremes. Like we needed to find what of our extreme is of the band. And I feel like problems is right in the middle. Like we try to yeah. find what's the essence of, of the get up kids, you know, like there's a little bit of weirdness. There's anthemic there's, you yeah. know, it's kind yeah. of, yeah. There's a little bit of post-punk, but there's also a ton of hooks and catchy melody. There's, we should stop uh, making music, right? Is that what you <laughs> did it? No, 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 no. Keep making music, dude. Really appreciate it. I think you're right. I think that's cool how you just framed it. There's a bit of a spectrum with the Get Up Kids, but I like that. I like it when bands try new stuff. And I know you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't sometimes as a band. If you do something new, people ridicule you for it, but they're still going to ridicule you for it if you put out the next record that sounds just like the last yeah. record. I mean, a lot of iteration of it. I like, I look at band, like descendants, descendants are descendants. Right. And I love descendants and they do that yeah. thing. Great. And, but I don't, we just were never that band. We always wanted to kind of do, you know, like they kind of found yeah. their niche. I mean, a lot of bands are like that, but I just, I, the get up kids, we've never been a band that wanted to just kind of make the same sound over and over for good or bad. I mean, cause yeah. we've lost, I think we've kind of lost fans along the way. But we might have gained fans, you know, I know some people might like a couple of our records and not like others or they, you know, it's, that's just how it is. And that's over time that may cover, it might go deeper. It's not just surface level. Yeah. Well, I was hearing people like when On A Wire came out, if you hear it now, it's not that weird. It was just weird in the time. Yeah. And a lot of people say, oh, I hated that record when it came out. Now it's my favorite Get Up Kids record. I'm like, okay, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you, know? you were like i was trying to tell you that back then man well really i don't know good, i started actually. i just i started smoking weed and turned 37 and <laughs> i just get that record now <laughs> yeah dude for sure man sometimes weed helps look at a record differently for sure you that's start def- listening to that's definitely a weed record <laughs> yeah <laughs> it sounded alternative for the time and i think you guys were trying to do something timeless i think we were just being inundated with pop punk around that time 
And I think you guys wanted to do something different. You wanted to do something for lack of a better word, a little bit more timeless. Well, you, know? you I can't think put a lot of stamp on it. Well, a lot of bands started sounding like our band, you know? Yes. And so I felt like we wanted to, to like, I don't know, get ahead of the curve in a way. I guess. Yeah, maybe you guys did. I mean, look, a band you guys toured with, I was just thinking of when you were describing a band where you're going to have some people who are fans of certain records and some fans are really big fans of other records. I think of a band like Thrice. And at this point in their career, I can go along for the ride. I just enjoy whatever they put out similar to the Get Up Kids. But I think, again, it goes deep. It's not just surface level enjoyment. If somebody is making the same record over and over again, you know, sometimes that can be um, stale. A lot of bands, I don't, I don't want to. Like if ACDC came out with like some, you know, acoustic, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. ACDC is ACDC. It's right. riff big. I mean, that's what yeah. they do. That's their thing. For so sure. It works, it works for some bands. It just doesn't work for us. True. Yeah, for sure. And a band like Descendants. Do you ever go back and listen to those old all records? Some of those all records are really weird. <laughs> From the 80s. They're good. That's what they were living. You know, they were living in Missouri when they were doing that. Were they really? I yeah. That. Like a small town outside of Kansas City. I forgot what it was called. And it, I don't know if it was Bill Stevens' dad. I, he okay. told us. So we we got to open for them. And it was awesome. This was like a, just a couple of years ago. And yeah. We were talking to them about that because they, they're friends with all these people in Kansas City. Chad's from Kansas City, right? Yeah, yeah around around here. And yeah, yeah, but like somehow Bill Stevens' dad had bought this house. Like he went back for a high school reunion, ended up buying, like it's something bizarre like that. And so oh, they were yeah. like, and they were on tour 10 months out of the year anyway. And, you know, Missouri, it's centrally located for yeah. touring. So they just lived in this town and it's like a typical, you know, small Midwest town, with like a Casey's and a... You know, <laughs> and they, I, I just like imagining them like going to like the gas station in this town, like this, yeah. this punk band. Yeah, that's amazing. I live in Lawrence now. So sometimes I think about Kurt Cobain being here for that period of time when he was in Lawrence, too. Yeah crazy well cool man dude i appreciate your time i want to be respectful of your time obviously but can you tell me a little bit about thunder gong yeah thunder i don't know the history so so if anyone listening doesn't know what i do besides in a band i work for a nonprofit called steps of faith and what we do is we help amputees who don't have insurance or underinsured all across the united states a lot of times prosthetic coverage isn't it's it's like a luxury item if you can believe that like oh yeah it's a luxury to fucking walk yeah So it was kind of started by my friend, Billy, who played drums in Black Polites. He had Ewing sarcoma cancer right after we started our band and lost a leg, his left leg from the knee up. So that's an AK above knee amputee. And he moved back to Kansas City and I had graduated college. I went back to school. I have a degree in geology and I was just like having a hard time finding a job. And I really just kind of wanted to play music anyway. Yeah. And I was like, Billy, do you need some help with your nonprofit? And I just thought, oh, this, I could be like a part-time thing when I'm not touring and just help my friend out. And then it's turned into a full-time job. And we put on this concert called Thundergong to raise money. And one of Billy's best friends is Jason Sudeikis. So when you have, cause Jason's from Kansas City, mm-hmm. Billy and Jason did comedy, sports, improv together. And Yeah. And so when you have A-list celebrity as your friend, they can do cool shit. And it started out in 2017. It was going to be like a drum, like a drummer centric thing. That's why it's called Thunder Gong. 
mm-hmm. and it ended up being more of a variety show. We've had, you know, Will Forte, Fred Armisen, and we've had Chance the Rapper, Winona Judd, Get Up Kids Harper. have played, Ben Harper, yeah. Waxahachie played this year. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just been crazy. And I think we're close to raising $400,000 from Thundergong just from Thundergong this year, wow, which awesome. is nuts because it was basically a virtual show. We did a, we did yeah. some things at the Uptown in Kansas City that was mainly for sponsors. Knock on wood, every piece yeah. of wood, next year we're going to be back and have a, have a full concert. But that's great. You know, Jason's down again. We got like Will Forte's like, he's just like the man. He's all about it. So we'll have a good show. It's fun. It's so much fun, man. We've gone yeah. a couple of years, Pamela and I, we always have a blast. We watched last year and this year. Yeah, such a cool event. Seeing Foo Fighters play walk. That oh yeah, that was nuts. And I know that that, was awesome. that song meant a lot to Billy. And you know, this year we had we got Michael McDonald. We got Counting Crows because <laughs> we thought you know Jason's so famous now. It's like just ask. We got Sammy freaking Hagar. You know, yeah, dude. And how that it all came about was like. Like friends knew somebody, Billy knew somebody in Michael McDonald's camp. This gal who works for Google, who's helped us, her like sister has a summer place in Cabo and like knew Sammy Hague. Like it was like, we just used every resource we could. And yeah. it, I think I, I loved the lineup this year. I thought like, like Guster, so cool. Ryan, like Guster, my buddy is friends with those guys. Then it turned out that the drummer of Guster is neighbors with Jason in New York and knows Jason. So it's like, it was all sort of, it all sort of fell together. It was meant to be, but yeah, you can go to thundergong.org and watch the show. If you haven't seen it, you can donate to steps of faith foundation from there. Awesome. Yeah. It's I'll tell you this. I was so glad when it was over. Like it was, I, I, this year I didn't get early enjoy it, (laughs) which sucks. I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was just, it felt like an uphill battle the whole time to even make it happen. I'm sure it's a ton of work, man. It's becoming a full-time job. We have lots of great volunteers, like literally people who work so hard and we don't pay them to put on the show. And yeah, it's crazy, but somehow it got done and somehow we're still, you know, helping amputees during the day. So it's just, it's good. It's fun though. It's fun. It's great, man. It's it's kind of the, I mean, I like helping people. That's what we do, but a lot of, you know, I'm paying invoices or whatever, you know, there's just like mundane things. And so what Billy and I, I know it's fun for us to be able to do this show because we're creative people and I love working, you know, like when we're in the office, Marcy, who the gal who works with us too, we're kind of like a three person team, just like, you know, bouncing off ideas. It's like a song, you know, it's like, Oh, I have this idea. Oh, what if we did this? And then, then to see it happen, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's magic, man. It comes to fruition. You get to see that creation and I'm yeah. sure you're exercising the same muscles as being in a band. You do get to be creative. And I think it's a testament to your resourcefulness, as you mentioned, being so resourceful and having satellite people that are connected to these people. It is badass. You guys got Sammy Hagar. That's awesome. I was listening to Van Hagar. <laughs> Today, actually, that's really cool. It's always a blast, and I hope we get to go in person again sometime. And is that kind of what your day to day is? You're helping amputees connect yeah, with that's, resources. That's, that's and our things. that's our day to day. Cool. I mean, that's awesome, man. Just that we just got an email a guy who's from Ghana, but he's living in New Jersey, and so he he doesn't have insurance, and and he like made his own prosthetic limb. It's like wow. I think we can help you, man. Cause yeah. that's like, that's our main thing is like, as long as you're in our country, we will help you. We don't ask questions other than, are you an amputee? Can you not afford this leg and don't have any way to pay for it through insurance? And 
then we're going to help you. Yeah. You guys are there to help. I appreciate it. It's really cool. It's good to have good people in the world doing good things. So that's rad. Just one last thing before I let you go here. This is a random story that I'm going to share really fast, but it's cool. And you'll think it's cool. I hope. The last time I saw you guys play mass, you guys played with Henry right next to the bourgeois pig. And I was watching you guys. (laughs) I was watching you guys play. That was a rough show. Was it? Yeah. we we, We drank a lot. (laughs) <laughs> we did it as a favor. Well, we never were going to play. Ryan Pope and Rob Pope put that show on. Yeah, it was like a surprise, right? They had to, they had to like cancel because of the weather. It was like yeah. a really stormy summer, and so we uh-huh. we did it. And then we were basically paid in free beer, so we got a little drunk. But it was fun. <laughs> you made it worth it, right? <laughs> yeah, you were going to get your drinks worth. No, yeah. but the cool part, I mean, the fact that I saw you guys and I remember it was a surprise and we got to go to mass, get up kids are playing. We got to get over there. We live five minutes from Mass Street. So but I remember I was standing there. I was watching you guys play, enjoying your music. And I turned to my right and it's a very tall, very good looking gentleman to my right. And I realized it's Frank Turner. He had came oh, yeah, he down. was in- I think he was playing. He's in town. Yeah, yeah he played Liberty Hall that night. Yeah, he's a he's a friend of the band. He's a really good dude. Yeah. I'm sure he's a huge fan too. Yeah, we I were supposed to play. It. He does these like big festivals that he puts on. Yeah. And we were supposed to go, we were gonna go to, to Berlin and play it. It was gonna be pretty badass, but we cool. I think this might have been a COVID thing and then we couldn't oh, okay. do it. But no, he's a solid human being. Yeah, yeah. that's hilarious. I I totally forgot he would. I totally forgot he was there because I was like, what the hell are you doing in Florence, Kansas? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, it was, you know, I think I don't even know I if he, I don't, I don't think he had a show that night. I think it was, he had, the, it was I think it was like the following yeah, night or yeah, he was yeah. traveling through or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if he had a show. He might've been just traveling through. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. yeah. Now that you mention it, that might've been the case. He might've been at like, which was, the night which was what was even weirder about it. Yeah. It was so yeah. funny. Yeah, but yeah. it was cool. But I saw you guys maybe a year before that or a year and a half before that also on Mass Street. And I wanted to mention this just because it was a really the, cool the, thing. The big show. The one yeah, was, where you guys were over by the Granada. But Rob Pope wasn't playing. Rodrigo right. from Saves the Day was playing bass. That was the biggest right. headlining show we've ever played. There were like 6,000 people that. there. It yeah. was crazy. Yeah. Was that gratifying to see it, that many people? You know what? Out? It was. It was awesome. And I, like friends from high school. Like I guess if we play for free, people yeah. want to come see my band play. But <laughs> it was it was awesome. It was a very cool event. Like it was, yeah, it was cool. It was cool for my kids who've never yeah. really seen me and like to see all these people singing. Like it's gotta be a weird thing for them. <laughs> so it's always funny. Like my dad sure, does yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the cultural relevance of the get up kids, I think that it speaks to that because all of my friends, all my buddies were out there that night. It was a really nice night. It was, Oh, it was better. like a, it was like the perfect storm of a very nice night. Everyone was out. It was, it was great. Pre-COVID. Yeah. Pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Make, making times. movies played. They were really good. Making movies. Yeah. 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 He's great. I've known him for a long time. Yeah. We, Pamela, we took her kids out. So it was one of their first concerts. Yeah. I it was very family. First rock show. It was cool. Yeah. There were lot, tons of families. It was, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. This stuff, it transcends and it all goes full circle, right? That's it. Well, dude, again, I can't thank you enough. This is really cool. When I started this music themed podcast, I think the get up kids, I think that's one of the reasons I started something like this, just to talk to people, talk to old friends and things, but gain some wisdom and some insight in some of the music that I've listened to the last couple decades and beyond. So thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Yep, thank you. This was fun. I hope I answered all your questions. And dude, that- you did amazing. I appreciate it. Yeah. Didn't, didn't say too many stupid things. Solve some, solve some mysteries. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's good to fill in those gaps sometimes, and then it's good to leave a little mystery, a little mystique, too. I'm but an open book. I love it, dude. That's great, man. Well, dude, maybe post-COVID at some point, our paths will cross, and you'll let me buy you a drink or something. For sure. I never turn one down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, dude, have a great rest of your night and a great week and some great holidays. Me too, yeah. And, Same to uh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'll talk to you sometime. All right. All right, buddy. Bye. Take care. Have a good night. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. Oh,